So I have a question this morning, and I was originally planning to just have this be a question you answer in your head, but I, I realized, man, I'm just too curious as to what your response would be. So I'm going to ask you to, to, to go ahead and say it out loud. So I'm curious, what do you think the hardest part about being a pastor is for me? What do you think? What do you think is the hardest part about being a pastor? I don't know if you've ever thought about it before. I'm curious. What do you think? Putting on the robe. Putting on the robe? That is kind of hard. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> but not the hardest thing. Anyone? Any other ideas? Yeah. Getting up early on Sunday. Getting up early on Sunday. I, do, I get up early most days, but getting here on time is a challenge, but not the hardest thing. Yeah. Any other ideas? Sermon prep. Okay. That's an interesting thought. It's, it's not my hardest thing. Yet. Allowing yourself to be less than perfect. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, see, I think it helped me. I grew up in a pastor's family that was definitely less than perfect, so I'm used to being less than perfect. Yeah. Any other ideas? What you display in public might not actually be what you're feeling inside. What's that? Per, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That might be somewhat related to, and maybe, and I guess maybe what Julie just said to you, might somewhat relate to what, what is the hardest thing for me. You know what the hardest thing for me is about being a pastor? Me. Like, dealing with my own sinful stuff is the hardest thing. You know, like how you want to do good and want to say good and, and want to encourage people, but yet there's this, you know, these sinful thoughts that plague in there, and there's this guilt that plagues in there, or there's shame, or this, you know, you, you have all these things, and you see it in God's Word, and it's so good and clear, and you want to live it, and then don't. Like, it's my, my, the hardest part for me about being a pastor is me. And, and I think it's the hardest part about being a pastor because, for me, it's the hardest part about being a Christian. You know, when you think about all the other people look at all the, what about their, their suffering in the world, things like that, and, and maybe for other people, those are the bigger issues. But for me, it's, 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 it's just dealing with my own sinful self. That's the hardest part about my faith. For you, maybe that's not the hardest part. Maybe it is something else. But whether that's the hardest part or not, or maybe you've never even thought about, like, rating what's the hardest part about your faith, wherever you are with that, the truth is we all have a battle going on inside of us. You know, we, we have what we want to do, we have what we know we should do, and yet there's this, there's this power at work in us, against us. And today, as we're talking about, as we're moving forward with our, our series, where we're talking about living your faith, living in the reality of what Jesus has done and, and what that means for us. Today, we're going to talk about that re very real difficulty going on inside of us, that very real fight. And we're going to get some hope and get some confidence and some relief when we face the battle within. The words that we have today that we're studying come from Romans chapter 7, verses 21 and 25. It says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. 
Now, these words are part of the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Rome. We've had a couple lessons recently uh, that come from this letter. We don't need to do a lot of digging into what this letter is in the backstory, but it's just good, to, again, to refresh ourselves each time, remind ourselves what it is. So we'll just do real quick reminder that Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in the city of Rome, and it's really this beautiful, full explanation of the gospel. He works through so many parts of it, so many details, and so much of what it means, and he really works through this letter to build up the church, to promote unity in the church so that they can grow as the church, but also he talks about going from Rome to the next step in his mission work. So it could be a platform then, or it be a launching pad, I should say, for the next part of his mission work. So as he goes through and he really lays out the gospel, he, he talks about how God's righteousness has been revealed. But then as you look at God's righteousness being revealed, it also showcases our sin and the issues that we have had. All people, whatever your background is, whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, the word for that being Gentile, whatever your background is, God's law shows us that we all have an issue. There's a way we were meant to live and we don't do it. There's a way the world was meant to be and the, way, and the reason the world is not what it was meant to be is because we don't live the way we were meant to be. We all contribute to what's broken in this world. But the gospel is that God didn't leave us in this way. God sent his son Jesus to become one of us, to become a person like us, just, just like us, except he's perfect. He lived that life we were meant to live, laid it down, died on a cross so he could absorb all the consequences, the justice for our sins. And he rose to give us new life. And you and I simply through faith are now in Christ. Simply through believing in what Jesus has done, we are now right with God through faith. Because through faith, what's true of Jesus now becomes true of us. See, the way it works, and in chapter 5, Paul really lays this out, is like just like in Adam, all people became sinful, because when Adam turned away, everybody descending afterwards became sinful. In Jesus, because he took away our sin and because he rose again, everybody who was in Christ becomes sinless in God's eyes. Everybody who is in Christ now has a new identity, a new life. And in the words that led up to our lesson last week, Paul talked about baptism, how in baptism you're connected to Jesus' death and resurrection. So when you were brought to faith in Christ, when you were baptized into Christ, you're connected to how he died on the cross. All of your sin, all your guilt was put away there. It was put to an end there. And just like Jesus rose to new life on Easter Sunday, you have a new life. You are declared right with God. You now get to walk in the hope and newness of life because you're connected to God through faith and baptism connects you to his death and resurrection. The section that we're in in Romans is really talking about how now you get to live this out, how you get to walk and live and how you get to look at your life now because you're now in Christ. The lesson last week talked about how you're not under law, but under grace. It's grace. It's God's grace, his, his favor. Maybe you've heard of the, the definition undeserved love. At its root, though, it simply just means favor. God, he delights in you. That's why he loves you. He delights in you, so he gives gifts to you. Your life is now directed by the grace, the favor of God. 
He delights so much in you that he sent his son Jesus to live and to die and to rise again for you. He delights so much in you that you are right with him, loved by him. He delights so much in you that he calls you his child. He delights you so much in you that he sent his spirit now to give you faith, to believe his promises. He delights so much in you that his spirit now empowers you to live not under the control of sin, but to live by his power. He delights in you so much that he promises that you have eternity ahead with him. He delights in you, and your life is directed by that. Not by regrets, not by shame, not by the sin that plagues you. Your life is directed by the grace and love of God. You're not under law, but under grace. As you move forward from last week's lesson towards our lesson today, Paul is still, he's exploring what the issue is with us and God's law. And one of the things he brings out is that when you think about living according to God's law, the issue is not with God's law. If you go to Romans chapter 7, verse 14, it says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. God's law isn't bad. God's law is good. The reason why God's law is there is, is to show us how life is meant to work. It's not like God came up with some arbitrary rules, like for a game that you just need to follow just for fun. God's law is God's law because this is how life is designed to work. The issue is not with God's law. That comes from God. It's good. It's beautiful. The issue is you and I naturally are under sin, which is living, it's missing the mark of what we were meant to be. The issue is that we naturally, we don't follow God's law. We don't live according to God's law. So what God's law ends up doing is ends up pointing out all the ways we fall short. The issue is us. Naturally, in Romans 7, verse 18, Paul, he gives a really important clarification. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Sometimes people say, I know there's nothing good about me. That's not what Paul says. He says, there's nothing good that is in me. That is in my sinful nature. That natural part of us, what we're born into, that sinful flesh, which a couple weeks ago we talked about, that's what that literally means, is, is, is flesh. There's nothing good in my sinful flesh. But I'm in a different spot. My sinful flesh doesn't define me. That sinful flesh isn't who I am. But that sinful flesh is still there. And nothing good lives in it. And it's the reality of that sinful flesh that doesn't follow God's law, that doesn't do things God's way. It's the reality of that sinful flesh that brings about the discussion we need to have today about the battle within between who we are in Christ and that sinful flesh where there's nothing good in it. So our lesson to get started, it says, so I find this law at work. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the word law, I typically think about law as in like, you set a law and now people have to follow it. But think of this law here as more like, you know, think of like, like Newton's third, like laws of motion. I'm not going to go list them for you or anything because I'm not a science guy, but I remember them vaguely from class. And uh, the laws of motion, it's not like Newton said, here's the law, everything's got to follow it. What he did was he observed this is how things work. Based on everything he observed, it appears that this is how things always work. And so this is the law of this. Same kind of idea here. Paul is observing something that works, something that happens. Paul is saying this is simply, this is how things work in us. And what he's observing is, when I want to do good, evil's right there with me. 
For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Before we talk more about the sinful nature and the, the, the evil that's at work there, let's take a step and make sure we, re- we recognize that Paul is talking about how he delights in God's law and wants to do good. I think sometimes we can jump right to, to you know, talking about oh, those sinful things we do, but let's, let's start with reality is this is not somebody who just like chooses to do evil all the time talking right now. This is the Apostle Paul. Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament talking about how he has this issue. Paul is someone who delights in God. And you're somebody who delights in God too. That's, uh, I, I don't quote some professors very often, but there, I had a seminary professor um, who who'd said, and I thought this was just money. I, lo- I loved it. He said, don't deny the miracle. So like, when you talk about your struggle with sin, don't deny the miracle that you also are a new creation in Christ. And the new you does see that God's law is good. The new you does treasure God's law and does see that it's not just arbitrary rules, but that it actually is God's design for life. The new you wants to serve God. You've got that going on inside of you. You want to serve God as a Christian. In Christ, you see that God is good. And that he's good to you. And God's ways are good. And maybe that's part of why it's so frustrating. Right? Like, I don't know if it'd be so frustrating, our our sin, if we just didn't care about God's law. The reason why it's so frustrating is because we know we want to be better. We want to do better. And yet, evil is right there. The word evil, by the way, in Scripture, the word evil kind of, when we hear that word, it tends to have this, this sense more of like a morally wrong, and it does include that. But the word is a bit broader. A better translation would probably actually just be bad. In other words, biblical evil is not just morally wrong. It's also literally destructive. It's bad. The difference between good and evil is the difference not just between, well, that's the right thing and this is a wrong thing. It's that this is good and, up and, and upright and helpful and, and beneficial, and evil is destructive. Evil hurts. Evil causes problems. It might present itself as being good. It might say, oh, you're going to feel better if you do this, but reality is it destroys. And so here's the thing is you, you, you recognize in Christ that God is good and you want to do good. But there's this bad stuff that just hangs around that is destructive. It's not good for you. It's not good for people around you. As a matter of fact, you know it's not good, and yet it's still right there, lying near. Literally is what it says. Our translation says right there, but it's a little tame. It's like lying near you. I think of like a snake lying in the weeds. I saw a pastor friend of mine posted a picture about snakes at their glass door of their house. Last week, he, he, lives, did I, did I, he lives in Austin, Texas. I saw this picture. Totally creeped me out. I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I ever want to take a call to Austin, Texas. Man, that is terrifying. Um, but uh, so I, I, maybe that's why I have this visual in my head. But think of like a snake lying in the weeds right there. When you want to do good, there's bad. There's destructiveness. There's sin lying in the weeds right there. Right alongside of your good intentions, there's, there's, there's evil, there's bad, right there, lying there. And it's lying there because there's this tension going on. It says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
but I see another lot work in the members of my body. The real you, who you are in Christ, the inner you, the real you, delights in him. But there's something else going on in your body. You, you delight in God, and yet there's something else going on. There's a contrast here. And that contrast is what Paul talked about in verse 18. Our sinful nature, that sinful flesh, that there's nothing good about it. It's against God. It's totally anti-God. That sinful flesh is still there. There's a contrast between who you are in Christ and that sinful flesh. And that sinful flesh is waging war against the law of your mind. When you think about this, this, this battle within, it's not just, you know, a basic battle. Like, it's a war that's going on inside of you between your sinful nature and who you are in Christ. And in this, this war, it's trying to make you a prisoner. It's an interesting picture, by the way. Like, it's the idea of, like, taking you captive. So think about in a war and think about how the enemy force might try to take you as a prisoner of war. This is the idea. This is the picture. That your sinful nature is trying to take you off as a prisoner of war. Which is why Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? So a confession to you today, I realized, so in studying this lesson, and when I did the Greek work, I actually ended up learning an English word that I thought I knew, but I didn't. I realized that I did not understand what the word wretched meant until I studied this lesson. I'm, I don't know, maybe, somebody else, maybe some of you are in the same boat. Maybe it's just me. But I always thought of wretched as being like, that like you're, you're bad or sinful or evil. Like, I'm a wretched man. And I'm looking at this, this English, this Greek word, and I realize the Greek word doesn't mean wretched. It means afflicted. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean bad. It means afflicted. So I was like, wait a minute. Did they just put the wrong word there? And I got, got to have the sense, like, maybe I just had it wrong. And so I looked up what afflicted means, excuse me, what wretched means, and I realized that wretched doesn't mean evil. It means afflicted. And I, all of a sudden, I started connecting all these dots. You think about all these words that we have that start with W-R. It's actually, it's a, it's a prefix. It's a, a prefix based on German and English words, and it's referring to things that, are, that are, have been twisted or contorted. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, man, it makes sense. Like, wrestling starts with W-R. Um, how you um, wrap things in gifts. You, like, twist things around them. The, the, these, this, this W-R at the beginning of words is describing something that has been kind of twisted or contorted in some way, okay? This is the idea with this word. It's not, Paul's not just saying, oh, I'm this bad guy. He's saying, I am afflicted. And if you think about it, it makes sense because, man, if you think about the fact that there's a war going on inside of you, maybe you've seen pictures of really war-torn areas, you know, where the enemy's been fighting and there's been a bomb that's been dropped or whatever, and just see how devastating it looks. Picture that, but... Realize that sometimes that's what's going on in you. And my guess is that you probably felt that way. And I find it somewhat encouraging, personally, so that if you've ever felt like there's a war zone inside of you, that it's not just you. You're not making it up. It's real. There is a war zone inside of you, and sometimes, man, it's devastating, and you feel afflicted. Because there is a war 
and there is a power trying to make you a prisoner. There's this battle within. But, you know, there's already some hope in something that we just said there. And it, it might have been easy to miss, miss here, but let's go back to verses 22 to 23. Remember the hell, the, the images of, of becoming a prisoner of war? So imagine yourself being a, a U.S. soldier and the enemy force, and it's just whatever war. Go back to, I don't know, imagine you're in World War II, Germany, maybe Japan, whatever. Just imagine where it is. And who, if somebody was going to take you prisoner... Would it be the United States of America or who? It would be your enemy, right? Germany, Japan, whatever, right? Why would they take you prisoner? Because you are their enemy. The whole picture of being a prisoner of war means that the Satan, the devil, your sinful flesh is your enemy. And that means that you are not on the enemy's side. You are on God's side. It's like, like, you know, if you're fighting in a war, like if the enemy takes you, you know, takes you captive, it's because you belong to the United States of America. They are fighting against you because you are part of this force, not their force. Your sinful flesh wants to take you captive because you don't belong to your sinful flesh. You are part of God's side. You are part of God's force and you belong to him. That's why it's fighting so hard against you. That's why it's battling so hard, trying to take you as a prisoner of war, because in this war, you don't belong to the enemy. You are the enemy's enemy. You belong to God. That's why when Paul and he says, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, or through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have a king who you belong to. Jesus has come and he has rescued you from that sinful nature. He has rescued you from who you were. He has rescued you from living a life full of sin and shame and guilt. That is not who you are. You belong to a new king. He died and he rose so that that can no longer be you or have control over you anymore. He gives you victory because you now belong to him. You are on his side, and you are on the side of the one who wins the war, who wins the victory. You've got a battle going on inside of you, and it might be hard, and it might feel like a war zone sometime, but in the midst of this war, you belong to the winning side. You belong to King Jesus, and he does not fail. He defeated death. He rose again. He does not fail. In this battle, you are on the side of victory. And so Paul, he, he says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. This last verse at first can kind of seem like a downer. Like, okay, I'm on the side of victory and have the victory in Jesus, but I'm still just battling this battle, fighting this thing back and forth. But remember the section of Romans we're in right now. Remember that this section of Romans is talking about how you are free in Christ and how you get to live in Christ. How you get to live in freedom and how what's true of Christ is true of you. See, we read the verses that come after our sermon lesson for our prep lesson today. 
Because these verses really bring out the hope that you get to live not just burdened by a battle, but in the reality of what Jesus has done. Look at the very next words after our lesson. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. See, setting your mind to God is not just, okay, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to try to win this battle. Setting your mind on God and having your mind be a slave to God and belong to God means that your mind and your heart is set on the fact that Jesus has won the victory. See, Paul, he, he says, the spirit of life set you free. See, because for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin and sinful man. When you set your mind to God in the middle of this battle, what you're doing is, is you're, you're, you're thinking about the fact, setting your mind to the fact that though this sinful flesh exists inside of you, and though this sinful flesh battles against you, it's not up to you to try to win this war or this battle. Jesus has already done it. He's taken your sin, my sin. He's taken your guilt and my guilt, and he took it and he died on a cross. He did what you and I could never accomplish. And through faith in him, you're free. Sin doesn't control you anymore. This might be a sinful flesh battling against you, but you don't belong to it. You belong to God now. There might be guilt and shame from things that, that you've done in the past, but Jesus has removed it. It doesn't guide your life. It doesn't direct your life. That is not who you are. That is not your identity. Your life and your future is not defined by sin and death. Your life and your future is defined by Christ and what he's done. And you get to live in that freedom. You get to live in that freedom by the Spirit. If you go to verses 4 to 6, Paul talks about how we do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So you know, we get to live by the Spirit. You have this, this sinful flesh that's waging war against you, but what you get to do is instead of trying to defeat it yourself, or instead of living feeling defeated, you get to have your mind set on the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? What does the Spirit give us? What's the gift of the Spirit? He gives us what? Faith to believe the promises of God. Set your mind on the Spirit, the Spirit who gives you the faith to believe that you are forgiven, that you are clean and clear, that your guilt is removed. Set your mind on the Spirit who gives you the faith to believe that you really are a child of God, that that is your identity. Set your mind on the Spirit gives you faith to believe that you are connected to God and what's true of God is true of you. That when you were baptized, you really were washed clean and made part of the family of God. Set your mind on the Spirit. And once you set your mind on the Spirit, you're setting your mind on the one who has the power to really overcome whatever temptation or sin you have in front of you. That's something I realized, there's something that, that God's been teaching me of late. And I realized, and I just, I just want to share this morning, is one of these things is, is often when I would recognize maybe a temptation I struggle with, or maybe it's a, 
a, a way where God has called me to live or think about people, and I really, and, and it's, it's, it's new for me, it's, it's really growing in me, and I would see this temptation or see this thing, and I'd be like trying to muster, i try to figure out how to do it, all right? I try to like, okay, I want to think about this the right way. I want to avoid this or whatever. And you know what I found? This is where it gets so discouraging is I just keep on tripping it up. And what, what God has been teaching me is he's been saying, not out loud, but through his word, Nate, you're doing it all wrong. You're trying to fight the flesh with your flesh. It doesn't work that way. You walk by the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who gives you the faith to believe that God is more powerful than the temptation you face. See, now, now what I'm doing is I'm starting with, a, like, oh, you know what? I feel weak in this area. I don't know how God, I, I can do what God has called me to do there, but he's able to do it. And the Spirit is the one who gives me the faith to believe that he is stronger than what I face, that he is stronger than what's in front of me, and that he is able, if he calls me to do it, he's able to do it. See, we have to set our minds to the Spirit who gives us faith to believe that God is more powerful than what's going on in the world and the battle that's going on inside of me. And we get to set our minds to the Spirit who gives us the faith to believe that, yeah, as we go forward, may we, will we trip up some? We sure will. But every single time, you are still living under grace, which means that God continues to love you, continues to cherish you, continues to, to choose you every time, continues to say, I'm going to use all this, even your mistakes, for my purpose, for your good, and my glory. You get to set your mind on the Spirit who every single time will reassure you that because of Jesus, you are right with God. Resurrection is your future, and new life is your reality now. We've got a battle inside of us, but we don't have to leave today folk fixed on the battle. We get to live, leave today with our minds set on the Spirit, who gives us the faith to believe that the battle is won and that the power is ours to live out that victory. We get to set our minds on the Spirit who reassures us that we are loved, that we are chosen, that the Spirit of God dwells in us, that Christ is in us, that Christ is stronger than anything we face, and whenever we trip up, Christ covers what we've done, and that eternity with Him is our future. We get to set our minds on the Spirit today and have that comfort and that confidence when we face the battle with it.